Welcome to the New York Mandate podcast, where we take a look at the costs and consequences of New York's COVID-19 vaccine mandates. I'm Amy, and in this series, I'll be talking with people who have been directly affected by mandates about their perspectives and experiences. So I'm here today with Gabriel, who previously worked for the Department of Sanitation in New York City. And um, I have just learned... (laughs) I thought that the New York City Sanitation Department was the largest in the country, and I wanted to confirm that. And I looked it up, and <clears throat> what I learned is that it's actually the largest in the world. Yep. So yeah. the, largest, the largest municipality in the world, yes. Right, right. Um, so, um, so let's just um, jump in and talk about um, what happened with your situation with the mandates um how first of all how long did you work for sanitation i worked for them for almost five years so just just under five years okay and what is your um status now um i've been terminated basically they went from uh i went through the whole process of uh, applying for the appeal i mean applying for the exemption getting denied going through the appeal process and then uh getting a notice that I was going to be placed on leave without pay and went through that for, I think, a month and a half and then finally got the termination notice uh, February 22nd. Let's talk about, um, first of all, why you decided to do that. Um, when did you first hear about the mandates coming down? And you know what was your first impression about that? And why did you decide to make the decision you made? Um, I, I guess it was around the the summer of 2021, we started to hear whispers of, of some mandates and there were there were other mandates going around across, you know, the city and across the country. We didn't think it was going to get to us. And then slowly but surely, sure enough, it did. And then somewhere around October, I think de Blasio announced the mandate for all the city workers. And before that, there were there were some people at my job that were getting vaccinated, you know, at their own will. And I think they had started weekly testing. So I was doing the weekly testing. And I was always opposed to it just because it's my own personal choice. You know, I, I never I never begrudged anybody else at my job for doing what they thought was right for them. And it was just a matter of choice. But then when 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 it was mandated, I I, uh, I kind of felt like it was an extra slap in the face. So I I uh, how can I get into this? So I have a. So so I went through a lot. A lot of us went through a lot throughout this whole thing. Everybody has a different situation, different story. So my mother passed away in April of 2020, like during the height of the pandemic. And it was really, really difficult. It was really sad. And uh, I was at work when they took her to the hospital and I was talking to her through her phone, through, um, through FaceTime. And uh, that's pretty much the last time I spoke to her. You know, she, she was intubated. Um, we had to, uh, we had to kind of decide to pull the plug because she was basically on, basically on life support. And we uh, had scheduled a zoom meeting with the nurse to say our final goodbyes. And luckily my, my, my sister went to high school with a different nurse who was on a different shift. The day before we were going to pull the plug, we got a Zoom, uh, we got a FaceTime call with my mom and hopefully she heard what we had to say. And this whole time, I feel like uh, we sacrificed a lot. A lot of people sacrificed a lot, you know? And I never, I never turned my back on my job. As a matter of fact, one of the things that saved me throughout that whole thing was going to work and made me feel like I had a sense of purpose. It made me feel good. It made me feel like I was doing something. I couldn't just stay home and I'd go crazy. So I took my 40, four days of bereavement that they give you. And then I went back to work and I just, I did the best that I could. And then to have a situation like we have now where you're faced with a choice of putting something in your body that you don't agree with. That's, it's not been validated. It's not been fully tested. We don't know really what's going on. And uh, to be faced with with losing my job over something like that, when I feel like so many people sacrifice so much, you know, not too long ago at seven o'clock, we were all banging pots and pans, you know, for the nurses and for all the essential workers. And I remember in the beginning of the pandemic driving to work and it was a ghost town. There was nobody in the streets and it was it was very sad. It was honestly very sad. And uh, a lot of people just just did what they had to do and kept on going, you know, and, and to turn around and kind of tell us now that we're not good enough because we're not. Uh, complying with this mandate that really, at the end of the day, it doesn't make any sense scientifically. You know, it's more and more studies, more and more evidence is coming out, peer-reviewed studies by experts that doesn't make any sense. Masks don't make sense. Lockdowns don't make sense. Uh, and never never before in our history. I mean, I'm, I'm 43 years old. I, I had 
you know, chicken pox and all that kind of stuff when I was a kid. And uh, I, I don't have any children, you know, right now that I have in school and all that kind of stuff. I can't even imagine what a parent was going through now with all these different kinds of, you know, shots that they have to give the kids and everything else. But going back to we never before have been faced with a situation where it's like put do this or your livelihood is at stake. You know, it's I could understand if I worked in a biohazard factory or something, you know, crazy. You know what I mean? But we were good enough then we should still be good enough now. That's, that's how I feel. And it was a personal choice for me not to take the vaccine. It's just, I do, I, I don't, I had COVID. I don't believe that I needed. I believe that I'm, I'm of Catholic faith. You know, I don't go to church every Sunday and all that kind of stuff, but I was raised Catholic and I, certain things that I still hold on to to this day that's helped me out throughout my life, you know, taught to me by my mother. And one of those things is it's, you have a right to choose, you know, what you do with your own body. And, and I think that I made the right choice for myself. And uh, I think a lot of people have made the right choice for themselves, whether they got the vaccine or didn't get the vaccine. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be allowed to go to work or go eat in a restaurant or go see a ball game or any of these uh, restrictions, you know, that have been put on people for uh, really, really through no fault of our own. Honestly, you know what I mean? I, I know a lot of people. I have friends who got the vaccine. Hey, I just, you know, I did it because I wanted to do the right thing. And I felt like I was helping out. And I said, hey, listen, man, that's all good. You you do what you did, what you felt was right. And I support you in your decision, whichever it is. And honestly, I don't even think it's anybody's business. I mean, we, we, we've come to a, to a point in history where it's just openly talked about people's medical status and all this other kind of stuff. And never before, like, I don't, if I have a cold or something, maybe I'll talk about that, but you know, it's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's a weird time we're living in for sure. I, I'm so sorry that that happened with your mother. Um, Thank you. Sorry. I didn't mean to go on and on. Sorry. It's just, uh, no. there's, there's a lot, there's a lot. So there's a lot. That's, to that's what we're here to do is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, um, you, you said that you had COVID yourself. When did that happen? That happened in, uh, in October of, uh, right around the time they announced the mandates in late October of, uh, 2021. Yeah, I had COVID. My wife had COVID. My uh, brother and his fiance were both vaccinated. They had COVID. Um, yeah, so I, you know, it was it was rough. I mean, I'm not going to say uh, didn't affect me. You know what I mean? It was like a really, really bad flu and I was going through it. And I, I had symptoms, you know, lingering symptoms for a couple of weeks and stuff like that. Brain fog and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But it, it, I had it. I went through it and I feel that I'm better now, you know? Right. Why, um, what, what was your like first uh, reaction when the vaccines were announced? What, what was your impression of them? Honestly, my impression was that uh, if it's going to help people, it seemed like a good thing. Okay, fine. But I'm going to sit back and see what's going on. And then honestly, when, when all the incentives started to come out, when they were offering, you know, a hundred dollars and baseball game tickets or whatever it was and donuts and, you know, all different kinds of, you know, coercive incentives to get people to do this i was like wait a minute something's going on and then actually at my job they offered us 500 dollars to take the shot when 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 they saw that they announced the mandate and only uh they only had a certain number of people comply they they went ahead and offered 500 dollars and then my shop steward came to me all excited with a piece of paper and he says look look uh they're offering 500 bucks i, I guess you're going to get the shot now and i gave it right back to him i said no thank you i said i'm good you know um it's not worth it to me it's not worth it so it was someone from your union that came to you with that. <laughs> yeah, well, so uh, amongst us, there's a person that they that we vote to. The union picks to be the shop steward. He's he's a worker just like I am, but he mm-hmm. kind of is like a liaison between the worker and the and the union in case something, you know, in case we need something or information or whatever like that. So he's the one who was who they appointed to come to us with this piece of paper. Uh, saying that, hey, listen, if, if if you haven't taken the shot yet and if you want to take it now, if you're ready, here's 500 extra dollars for you if you do it now. And right. or it, it was maybe within a week or two weeks. I forgot the time frame, but still and all. And that actually the more that things like that happened, the more it made me kind of like, you know, uh, just push back more and, and, and not want to have anything to do with it, because it's it's like something that seems too good to be true almost. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Like, um, I think I've heard this from a lot of people that um, the incentives made it seem more suspicious. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, were, absolutely. like, why would they have to offer that to you if it's if it's already something beneficial? 
absolutely for sure for sure a bunch of stuff i mean you know it just seemed fishy from the start a, a, a lot of things just seemed fishy from the start you know and then I, like everybody else, we were scared in the beginning. We didn't know what to make of things. We were locked in our apartments or our houses. And we were, you know, we, we thought if somebody sneezed on us, we were going to pass out on the floor and have to go to the hospital and die or something. You know, we were all scared. But now we know more. And it's a different animal. It's, it's, it's a different situation that we're dealing with now. And I kind of wish that we could all take a step back and learn from the mistakes that we made and not keep making the same mistakes. But it seems like just there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of red tape involved. There's a lot of egos, I guess. And people don't want to admit that, hey, listen, we might have made a mistake with this. Let's correct the mistake. There's nothing wrong with the mayor saying, hey, listen, I was wrong or the previous mayor was wrong or things have changed now. And we can go ahead and let these people work freely with no problem. Because I don't know if you know this. Uh, I'll tell you a funny anecdote or story with my story. Sorry. Um, so where I work at sanitation, I'm a metalwork mechanic and we work in teams of two. We have partners. And so my partner applied for a religious exemption and his got approved and mine got denied. So as we speak right now, I mean, I'm happy for him. He still has his job. But the same person that I've been working with for the past three years is allowed to continue to do his same job. Unvaccinated, didn't have COVID to my knowledge. So in my eyes, I'm better protected than he is because at least I have natural immunity. Um, and he, he was able to be accommodated and I wasn't, and it just shows you kind of like, it's, uh, there's no rhyme or reason to how they make these decisions when it comes to a religious exemption medical. I'm not sure, but I'm sure that's a, you know, more personal case by case scenario, but you can't deny somebody's beliefs, you know, in this country, it's against the law, it's against our constitution. And, uh, they, they don't seem to care about any of that. You know, so I honestly, I don't know how quickly all this happened. Also, from getting uh, from first being informed in October to then come February 2022, a few months down the line and I'm out of the job. And it's like, I don't know. I just don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I'm not working anymore. I have to worry about a paycheck. I have to worry about health insurance. I have to worry about all these different things that I thought I had a, a safe city job. I was working towards retirement and a pension and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know. I really feel like the city turned its back on me, you know? I feel like I was there, you know, when they needed me the most, but now when I need them, uh, they're just not there for me, you know? I feel disillusioned, you know, disenfranchised. So, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about what it was like to work during the pandemic, because um, you were you were going... you. You're working in, um, t tell me about your work. What do you do? <laughs> you just said you're a, mechan you're a, a mechanic. So um, well, you're not on the streets, you weren't on the streets every day. No, no. So what we, so our official title is called metalwork mechanic. So basically what we are, we're, we're welders, we're welders and fabricators, but they call us that so they can pay us less money because they phased <laughs> out this welder title. Yeah, okay. that pays more money. So that's what it is. So basically, I'm, I'm a welder. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an iron worker, a metal worker. So what we do is we repair all the collection trucks. Uh, we repair everything vehicle related when it comes to sanitation. So although we're not out there collection, collecting the garbage ourselves, there's a lot of the sanitation department is a, is a big machine. There's a lot of little small moving pieces that make everything work. So there, there are mechanics involved. There are, you know, uh, metal workers like myself. There are electricians. There are carpenters, all kinds of different trades. So we work in a big shop. That Basically, I worked in the biggest shop of sanitation, which is called the Central Repair Shop. And um, our job was to do that. So we pretty much welded, fabricated, fixed parts on, uh, on trucks, on uh, collection trucks. Uh, there's a panel. There's, if you ever see a... If you ever see a sandman, a sanitation worker putting garbage into the truck and he has to pull these little levers and then there's a there's a blade that scoops the garbage and compresses it. They right. take those pieces out when they get damaged and we're responsible for fixing them and, and uh, repairing them and sending them back out into the fields. And these things are crammed up with garbage and we have to light them on fire to burn with the torch and weld. And it's it's a big mess sometimes. So that that was our that was my my little cog in the machine, you know, story. <laughs> So did did your uh, work change at all during the pandemic? Obviously, you're not in a line of work where you could work remotely. You had to go. You had to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I wish I could. I was so jealous. My wife was working from work, and I was like, "Oh man, I want to work in my pajamas too." <laughs> but, uh, but no, I didn't. I didn't have that luxury. But it, it was okay. I mean, it, it kept me going. You know, like I said, uh, uh, work starts really early. I get up at five in the morning every day to be at work at six. Uh, get out at two thirty. Sometimes work a late shift till six thirty, and work kept me going. So at work, nothing really changed for me. That was kind of the, the also something strange about the whole thing the whole world was on pause, but my life continued, you know, my responsibilities, my daily routine, it didn't really change at all. I got up and got and went to work every day. Um, the only thing that changed was we couldn't do things, you know, after, after work, we had to stay home. We couldn't go on the weekends and do the normal stuff that we did shopping turned into like a big hassle and, you know, lines and everything else. But, right. you know, other than there was really no difference, honestly, at all for me, besides just the world, being upside down, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, so when you filed for a religious exemption, you filed on the basis of uh, being Catholic, right? That was your. I'm pretty much. As a, as a Catholic. Pretty much, well, pretty much in the beginning, see that they're, they're um, what the law states is, is pretty much that you regardless of religion, like you're not even supposed to, uh, have to tell somebody what your religion is, as long as you have sincerely held religious beliefs, no matter what the denomination is. So, um, yeah, in the beginning, when they when they offered the choice for a religious or a medical exemption, I knew right away that I was going to go for the religious one. But in New York State, it's difficult because other states I did. I mean, I did as much research as I as I knew how to do, uh, you know, Googling and everything else like everybody. And New York State does not have an actual form, you know, for a religious exemption. So it's kind of up to you to figure out what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. Uh, other states have an actual form where you just check out, you know, you check off boxes, you fill in your name and, and, and whatnot. So everybody's kind of left, you know, to their own, to their own devices kind of, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was, I was asking because I was wondering if you got support from uh, your church or some entity in the Catholic church um, or if that, that was part of your application or if it was something that you were just kind of on your own with? Well, I, I pretty much, I did it on my own. Honestly, the, the church that I used to go to <clears throat> is right across the street from where my mother lived. And it's very, very difficult for me to go around there. And so uh, I left the church out of it. And I said, look, I'm just going to try to do this on my own the best that I can. And so that's, that's what I did. According, according to, the, to the law and, and to, to what my understanding of the law was, I gave them uh, enough information to let them know that I have sincerely held beliefs and uh and they're just not they're not uh they're not recognizing that did you have any sense of what the difference was between your application and your co-workers application that was approved like could you guess what what the difference was that, <laughs> that made the, the only thing that i could say i don't know this for sure the only thing i could say is he might have gotten a letter from his um from his pastor or something like that and i think he himself is a pastor in his church because i know he goes to church a lot and everything else you know he's he's known as one of those guys um who's very devout in his faith and that's fine it's, you know that's i applaud him for that um i can't tell you any other difference i can tell you though a different person that i don't know that worked that works in Staten Island, who's the same religion as myself, his exemption got approved. And I know that he's Catholic and I'm Catholic and our, um, our statements weren't, weren't very different from each other's. They were different, of course, because he's him and I'm me, but it's right. basically, you know, based on our faith, we're both Catholic. So it was kind of similar and he got approved and I got denied. So really it, there's no rhyme or reason. It's very, it's very arbitrary. The whole process really, it's just like, you know, they'll just do this. You know what I mean? kind of thing and they don't give you any explanation of why it was denied they don't they don't give you an extensive ex explanation uh for me they gave me like a one word kind of explanation and it was basically that i i do not meet the criteria that's what they told me right right with no further explanation like what is the criteria you know what i mean like mm -hmm. the law is very clear on what uh what what should be allowed with a religious exemption because basically what i'm asking them to do is just uh if they can accommodate me or if i'm not causing an undue burden to them and obviously i'm not if my partner's still working there and i'm not there's no uh they they're able to accommodate him you know there's no undue burden on the employer if i were to keep working there so I, mm -hmm. it just doesn't make any sense at all <laughs> it doesn't
What what do you think of the reasons that that they have presented about public health, public safety? Um, you know, I think the the arguments that are usually made for the vaccine and for having mandates is that you know it's an extraordinary situation. Um, we want to reduce the spread of the virus as much as possible. Keep people out of hospitals so they don't get overwhelmed. W- what do you think of all those arguments for vaccination? I think uh, I think in the beginning they were they were good arguments in the beginning because we didn't know so much. But as with any situation, you can't just jump at the first solution that you think might you know be the savior for the problem. You have to kind of step back and you have to you know you have to talk to people. I don't think there was enough cooperation between uh, frontline doctors, people that were actually treating patients. And, and then people like, let's say, for example, like Anthony Fauci or bureaucrats who, who haven't been in a hospital for a long time and don't really know what's going on. Um, I think the people, the people who were on the scene, they should have had a stronger voice in uh, determining what the uh, what the procedure should be, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in the beginning it was a good idea, but then after a while it was obvious that a lot of things just didn't make any sense, you know. It's easy. It's easy to get everybody in a panic and, and scared about a situation with no solution and then to offer a solution and then jump at it. I think it's a mistake. I mean, I mean, I don't know a lot of history, but I know in this country in 1976, we had a swine flu epidemic and uh, they come out with there was a vaccine program that was rolled out. And as soon as I think 50,000 people got injured or something like that, they shut the program down and they paid out to the families who got injured. And something happened in the 80s, Ronald Reagan, I don't know who changed the law, but now you can't sue the companies and they're, they're not liable anymore. And that's a big mistake. I mean, uh, if, if I make something and I sell it to you or give it to you and it harms you, you know, I should get in trouble for that. If I know for a fact that it's okay to give it to you and I stand by that and then something happens, I should say, hey, listen, we need to take a look at this. I can't give this to anybody else. You know, it's like if I come out with a, you know, with a, with a, with a drink right now, a smoothie or something, and it's, it's causing people, you know, problems, they're going to take it off the shelf. You know, there's no way they're going to allow that to, to be sold in the stores. So I just think it was a, a rush to judgment with a lot of uh, the policies. And there's definitely a financial interest. I mean, it's, it's quite obvious. It's a huge financial interest. And that goes, you know, it's, it, it goes above saving lives. And it's, I can't comprehend that. To me, it's like, it's, inc- it's incredibly immoral what's going on in a lot of different ways, because if it's really about saving people's lives, then you talk to the people who are actually saving lives and you say, Hey, listen, how can we do this? You know, if, if I, if I need to fix my car, I go to a mechanic, you know what I mean? If I can, you know, change a tire, I'll do that. But when it gets more extensive, I have to talk to somebody who actually knows what's going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I feel like there should have just been more of an effort to listen to the actual people who were doing the work and, and see what we come up with and, and not, you know, roll out this, you know, experimental treatment, which is not even a vaccine. Come on. If you have to change the definition of vaccine, that tells you a lot right there. You know what I mean? If you look outside and the sky is blue, the sky is blue. And if I tell you that it's gray and now from now on, I'm going to call it gray. You're going to look at me like, hey, Gabe, I think you're nuts. You know what I mean? So when we have to start changing definitions about what words mean, it tells you a lot about where we are in society, you know? I think, um, yeah, that's, that's been a big sticking point. The, the, the way the, uh, the word vaccine was applied to the MRNA technology and all that. <clears throat> Some people feel that it's uh, a, a valid description because the purpose is still to, um, you know, to affect your immune system in a positive way. Um, in a specific way. So in that broad sense, it's, it's, it's a vaccine and other people feel that it, it doesn't, it doesn't meet the same definition as the previous vaccines. Mm. So you, you find it sketchy. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, for sure. I mean, I think they would have, they would have had a better shot if they just would have came out, no pun intended. If they would just came out and said, Hey, listen, this is a experimental thing, treatment that we have. Uh, amongst other treatments that we have that we're looking at, we're trying to see what's really effective and we really want to beat this thing. You know, we want to do the best thing that we can. So just sit tight, do the best you can. And, and we're going to, we're coming up with something, you know, that's the thing too. It's like, I, I don't understand what goes on. Um, I, I imagine like you, like everybody else, you get up, you go to work, you pay your taxes, you do what you got to do. 
And then when something like this happens, you assume that there's a, a, a body of government that's in charge of the what ifs and they have a plan for all this and everything's going to be okay. And it seems like everybody was just a bunch of bumbling fools. And I don't know, I have, I question where my tax money's going. Like, I don't understand what's going on. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if we were on a remote Island with 40 people, we could probably figure this thing out. You know what I mean? I know you, it's hard to manage that scale with so many people, but there are institutions that are de dedicated to this. There are scientists studies, a, a lot of studies that are funded, you know, using taxpayer dollars for these specific purposes. And then when it actually happens and to see like just the rollout of, of one big mistake over another, when it comes to dealing and addressing with the actual issues, uh, it's unfortunate. It's sad to see. It really is. Is that something that you saw like personally in your own life, the way that people were treated or not treated or, you know, did you, did you see, um, some kind of relationship with the medical establishment that gave you pause or was it more that you were listening to what people were saying in the media and that was not making sense to you? Um, I think from the beginning, I, I, I was already turned off by the fact that I couldn't see my mom in the hospital. I think yeah. that was like a big, a big mistake um, because there's ways, you know, there's definitely ways uh, to, to, to make it so that at least family members could be with their loved ones in those difficult moments. And that was from the beginning to me, like cutting the umbilical cord, you know, off the families. And I think that had a profound effect on everybody, uh, emotionally, psychologically. And from that moment I had, a, I just didn't trust everything that was coming out. You know, I had like, a, not that I trusted it so much before that, you know, but I had extra, I don't know. I just had extra spidey sense about certain things. And, and I wasn't willing to just rush the judgment and, and do the first thing that I thought was like, Oh, you know, cause I'm scared. I'm going to go ahead and get the vaccine. And I just wanted to wait and see, you know, what was going on because I just felt like we were being lied to, you know, that's, that's what I felt, you know? Was, um, was anyone from your family able to visit with your mother in the hospital? No, nobody, none of us. Or was it completely, no one was able to visit? No, nobody was able to able to visit. This was in April, April, in the middle of April in 2020. It's kind of like at the height of the pandemic. Um, and uh, yeah, she she went to the hospital. She was she's she was diabetic. She wasn't feeling well. My brother and and uh, and my sister had to go over there, and and my brother had to break down the door of her apartment because she was unresponsive. So they called the ambulance, and the ambulance came over and said, "Look, you know, we probably shouldn't take her." But if you need to take her, we should take her. And then my sister was like, no, what are you talking about? She's having like a sugar, uh, you know, uh, sugar attack. I forgot what you call that. Um, her sugar was very high. We got to take her to the hospital. And and she never made it back up. She never made it back up. And that was unfortunate. I see. I also, I too, also, I feel like the rush to just intubate everybody. And, and there's certain medicines and treatments they were giving in the hospitals that were like the protocol. And you couldn't go outside of that protocol. And that's also very questionable because like, I think one of the treatments or one of the drugs used is something called resdemivir or something like that. And it's supposed to have a lot of really negative side effects, uh, especially with your kidneys and, and other organs. And, uh, and, you know, a diabetic, you give a, a medicine to a diabetic who already has bad kidneys, it's going to make the kidneys worse. And then the intubation and uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there were, I think there's a lot of other treatments that could have offered people that would have been life-saving. And uh, we could have uh, avoided a lot of pain and suffering for a lot of people. Are, are you saying that you're talking about remdesivir, I think, right? Right. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. Are, are you saying that your mother was given remdesivir? I have to check. There's like there's a file of like a thousand pages that I have to go through. And it's it's hard even just talking about these things. But that's that's one of the protocols that was given in the hospital treatments for everybody across the board. And they weren't allowing any other treatments. I suggested like high intravenous vitamin C, high dose intravenous vitamin C. My sister suggested hydroxychloroquine. At that time, we didn't know about ivermectin or, or monoclonal antibodies. We didn't know about that. And the doctor, well, the nurse and the doctor, they were just adamant and saying that, no, we can't, they, we can't give her any of that stuff. You know, even if we could, it's too late for her anyway. So and I, I don't mean to make you um, go on and on about this, but I just want to clarify um, so she was taken in for a diabetic episode and then treated for COVID. She was, she was diagnosed for, with COVID and treated for that. 
Correct. She went in because of a diabetic episode. And then the next one of the next phone calls that we got was that she was she tested positive for COVID. And then soon after she was in the ICU, like very soon afterwards and then intubated. And then day by day, like the news would get a little bit better, then it get worse. And she had a blood transfusion. And and then it came to a point where they just told us the machines were keeping her alive, you know? So it's sad. I mean, it's a, there's a bunch of people that happen to not only me, there's a bunch of people. And I just, I just think, I think uh, we're not learning enough from other history, you know, other lessons, you know, that we should learn from history, from, from things that happened in the past and we're paying for it. And, and the people who are paying for it is us. Like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about anybody else's lives, you know, anybody else's life, you know, I just know about the people that I know, the regular people, and a lot of us are suffering, and it's terrible. It's it's really really bad. It's really bad. Well, let's talk about what's happening with you now. Um, you so you lost. Um, you were terminated in February, so you lost um, the all of your benefits at that time, right? Yes. So what they did initially was they offered. They offered like not a severance, but what they did was they came, they came to me with an offer, everybody with an offer and said, if you sign this paper, you can keep your benefits until June 30th. And if you don't sign this paper, then your benefits are going to run out, you know, right after you get terminated. But the caveat is if I sign the paper, I'm not allowed to sue them. And so I didn't sign the paper because I am suing the city because it's just wrong. What they did to me, they violated my rights. So why wouldn't I sue and so, yeah, pretty much uh, February 22nd since then, since before then, the month before that, I have, I've had no paycheck. And since February 22nd, uh, I didn't have health insurance. But since my wife and I, we got married uh, in, Febu in February. So I was able to get on her health insurance. And that's that's my saving grace. Like she's my rock. She's been extremely loving and supportive throughout this whole process. And it's it's been a lot of it's been up and down. You know, it's been up and down. And I just, like I said, I'm just, I mean, I'm still in shock. I mean, I'm, I'm just disillusioned. I'm in shock. I don't understand what's going on. A few months ago, I had a job. Everything was okay. I felt like I was getting my, my head back together with certain things in my life and getting over the death of my mother, even though it's been a couple of years, but how, you know, you can't really get over that. And it's not like, like we're still in this, you know, we're still in this kind of pandemic phase. Things seem to get back to normal. And it's amazing how, how many people don't really know what's going on. Like I talked to my barber the other day and I told him my situation it was really like, that's still going on, the mandates? And I said, yeah, this and that and the others. There's, there's not, I know there's a lot of people working really hard to create awareness. And, and some people just, they just don't know. They're not aware and they, they're not conscious of the fact that a lot of people out there are still, uh, still struggling, you know? For no, through no fault of their own, you know. What what happened with your um, with your pension and other, you know, benefits that you had through your job like that? So um, the pension. So I uh, I almost made five years, and and they recently changed the law that after five years I would be vested in the in the city pension system. So I just missed that by a few months because July I would have made five years in July. Um, so that I don't have a pension with the city. I have money that I was, um, putting into the city pension. And so if, if I take the money out, it just counts as like a, an income for me for the, for the year, you know? And, and what about, I, sorry, yeah. just, I, I wanted to add another thing too. So in my title, my position, you don't take a test, you get hired based on your resume, your experience when they have an opening. So when you get hired, you're, you're considered provisional, which is, you know, kind of like you're on probation in a sense, you know, and uh, I was provisional for a long time, uh, right up until the point that I got terminated just a few months ago, six months ago, um, they made me and a whole bunch of other guys permanent civil servants. And that's something also that was like a, like a milestone kind of moment, like, oh, okay, you know, this is great. You know, I've been here for a few years. This should have happened a couple of years ago, but it took long but I'm finally a full-fledged uh, civil servant. And then I just get fired a few months later, which is like ridiculous. Because having a city job and being a civil servant is one of those things where um, it's very hard for you to get fired. You know what I mean? Because you have 
a strong, well, you're supposed to have uh, union representation and you got to do a lot of things to get, I've seen it, you got to do a lot of things to get fired there. Yeah, so tell me more about the union. Um, they came to you with the incentives, they, they, that was their role to present the, the uh, incentives for taking the vaccine before the mandates kicked in. Um, what, do you feel that they represented you? Um, what was their general role beyond offering the, the incentives? <laughs> <laughs> so, so just to clarify, so the, so the incentive, it comes from the city. It doesn't come yeah. from the union. It's just the, right. the, the union, the shop steward guy is the one who came to us with it. The union has been um, non-existent throughout this whole process, throughout my entire appeal process and, and denial process. Um, they, they haven't been there for me at all whatsoever. The, I, I thought it was because I'm a member of a small union because not every member of sanitation is a member of the same union. So the, 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 the garbage collector guys, the, what they call sandmen, sanitation guys, they have a very strong union, a big union, but there's other people that I met that are in that title that haven't gotten the, they haven't gotten the backing from their union that they're supposed to get the representation. So to answer your question, my union has been pretty much non-existent throughout the whole process. And when I actually reached out to them through emails and through phone calls, asking them for even legal advice, they, they said they couldn't help me at all. So they pretty much the, the unions have already figured out and made a deal with the city to say, okay, we're going to go ahead and, and agree with you to go ahead and do this. And if any, if, if any of our members um, are opposed to it, they're pretty much left to, to fight for themselves, you know? Do you think there uh, were, are a lot of members opposed to it You're, among your coworkers? What's your general sense of uh, how okay people were with vaccines and mandates and all that? Well, I'll tell you like this, before it was mandated, it wasn't even 50-50. I, I, I would say like 70% of people that I know did not get the vaccine and another 30% did. And once it became mandated, um, there were a lot of people who did not want to get the vaccine, but I, you know, imagine uh, if you have, you have a, you're married, you have kids, you have a mortgage, you have bills, responsibility, you have a family, you're, you're kind of put in a situation where you don't have a choice, you know? So I spoke to somebody the other day and I explained my situation and he says to me also, they gave you a choice to get the vaccine. And I said, no, that's not a choice. If you're off, if you're telling me I either get the vaccine or I lose my job, that's not a choice. That's that's coercion. That's you're forcing me to do something. Otherwise, you're threatening me with my livelihood. You know, so there were a lot of people who, who were not um, happy about having to get it. You know, who didn't. Some people jumped at the 500 bucks. They were like, oh, OK, I guess I'm getting it now because, you know, it's an extra 500 bucks. And a lot of other people um, that I spoke to personally, they were they just they were not happy about it. They had no intention of getting the vaccine. But once they realized that it was either that or keeping it or, or losing their job, they they were put in a situation they had a tough decision to make and, and they made the best one for them, you know? So if there was that much, um, you know, opposition or hesitation or whatever among the workforce, why do you think, and I know that you don't know, <laughs> but what's your take on why the union didn't represent that point of view? Well, the only thing I can say to you without getting into like a three hour long story is, is there are certain things that are designed a certain way. So my specific title and my union, it's kind of designed so that union works with management and they don't really represent the workers. They're just worried about getting their union dues and they kind of sweep everything. If you have a grievance, it gets swept under the rug. Nobody takes anything serious. So you're kind of put in this, in this situation where if you want your nice city job, you have to kind of play by certain rules. And if you're not happy with something, you have to shut up about it and uh, not make a big stink about it. Otherwise, uh, they'll, they'll move you to another position. They, they look at you in a certain way. It's, it's a lot of politics that go on there, a lot of bureaucracy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so you're saying the public health system, if you lost total confidence in the union, uh, is another bureaucracy that has lost your confidence. Um, obviously the city terminated your job. <laughs> so every institution is, you know, not working for you. So you are now pursuing a legal remedy, right? So you're, you're party to, uh, it's a class action. 
No, just just by myself. Just oh, just it's just on my own. your own. Yeah, it's just me. I'm not a party to any class actions. Uh, I spoke to other people, other other sanitation members. See, my situation is a little bit different. Um, the other people that I spoke to, they, they their job title and situation is is, is more similar. And uh, me, because I don't work outside, because I work inside, because I work with a partner and his got den- uh, approved and my got denied. I just feel like I have a better chance of explaining my personal situation. I, I think I'm not sure, but I think it was explained to me that even in the class action, they have to kind of speak to everybody individually. And it's kind of a case by case basis. I just felt this was the best thing for me to do. So I, I talked to some people. I reached out to a lawyer and, and he's representing me on this for right now. I would love to talk to um, you with your lawyer at some point, too. That I think that would be interesting to hear about the legal issues, the, the legal case that your lawyer is is making. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll talk to him. It's just this is kind of like in the very early stages of, of the whole process. Because first you have to file a complaint with the EEOC and then get uh, this paper that's a right to sue notice. Um, so it's still in the very early stages. But honestly, I'm not like a litigation kind of person. I don't like to go around suing people and all that kind of stuff. I'd rather stay out of courts and courtrooms and everything else. But um, I felt like my back's up against the wall and I have no choice. And it's just at this point, it's really a matter of principle. You know, I feel like... Um, I feel like just a big disservice has been done to all the people that were, you know, terminated or, or placed on leave without pay. You know, it's like you're unraveling the fabric of society. You know, people need to go to work. They need to pay their bills. They need to contribute to their local economies. You know, it's, it's just better for everybody all around. And if it's a serious situation where it has to happen, okay, fine. But we're two years into this, more, more than two years into this. And we realize, you know, where we made mistakes, but some people that make decisions are not willing to make the mistake are not willing to admit that mistakes were made and they're not willing to talk to other, um, other people and, and, and correct those mistakes and make it better for everybody. It seems like a lot of these policies and mandates are, are self-serving, you know, and not to mention also the same people that are making these decisions are not always uh, following their own, um, you know, their own mandates, their own dictates, you know? Yeah, so the other two um, systems that people would generally appeal to um, in a case like this would be the, you know, the media system and then the political system. Obviously, it's part of the political system that created the mandates and is enforcing them. You know, it was the the mayor and city government. But what is your take on? Uh, have you tried to pursue um, any? You know. Uh, any political solution to this, you know, speaking to your representatives or um, have you, have you had any interaction with media about this? Um, No, aside from you, I've had no interaction with media. The time at MSG, I just felt like I wanted, I had something to say and I wanted to say it. Um, We're talking about, just, just so people know, we're talking about, we, we met at a protest at Madison Square Garden. Yes, I'm sorry. Right. So we, we met at a protest in Madison Square Garden. It was the first time that I got up in front of an audience to read a, a poem. Uh, and it's a poem that I wrote actually like two weeks after I got terminated. And uh, I reached out to Kevin um, from the Freedom Rally and he was nice enough to let me go up there and speak. And then you and I you know, met and I met so many other people that are in my same situation. And for the first time, I didn't feel alone, even though I do. I feel Everybody feels alone sometimes, but it's nice. It's nice to know in a sense that there are other people out there and there are a lot of people out there who are doing a lot of really good work. who are really doing a lot of good work and reaching out and, and creating awareness. And um, and I applaud them. I really do. I've I've tried to go out there a little bit and help out the best way that I can. But sometimes it's not for me. Sometimes uh, I get into my own head and, and a lot of this just doesn't make any sense to me. And sometimes I feel like I don't know why I should be out there screaming and trying to fight to get my job back. Like I didn't do anything wrong. If anything, we all did everything right. And so I don't know. I'm torn. Uh, Media. No. um, Sorry. What was the other question? Uh, Media and politicians. Uh, Oh, politicians. Right. So, so um, through, through group, I'm not, I'm also, I'm not, I'm not very good with social media and, and stuff like that, but I joined a couple of group chats. I was invited to a couple of group chats and, and I've gotten some really good information from there and try to share it with other people. So every now and then they'll, they'll say, Hey, we can do this action, you know, call your local representative 
and do so. And so for the first time ever, I've, I've become actually a little bit more involved in, in that, that aspect of knowing who, <clears throat> who my representatives are and, and, and what actions I can take in that regard. So the little bit that I, that I can do, I try to, but and in terms of like being out there and, and, and being in the media and having my face everywhere and whatever, I'm, I'm kind of a shy guy. So I, I would say no, but I like to help in whatever way I can, you know, if I can go pass out flyers or do something, you know, I like to get involved. Do you, do you feel that that's um, an effective, you know, when you've called your representatives, this kind of thing, when you've engaged with the, with politicians, do you feel that that it has been effective at all? Has this whole, you know, situation um, changed the way that you look at political representation? I would say, I don't, I don't know if it has been effective, but I will say this. I will say that there's no way other to find out than to try. And I feel like there's an old expression, the closed mouth doesn't get fed. So I feel like at, in the one aspect, I, don't, I, I like to maintain normalcy and, and not have to go around telling people that I got terminated and I want my job back. But the, on, on the other hand, if people are not aware, nobody knows. So when it comes to politicians or, or, or local representatives, if they don't know that there is a problem, how they're supposed to know how to solve that problem. So I think, um, I think it's important to reach out and to, and to let them know what's going on, whether they take it seriously, whether they agree or don't agree, or whether, they, whether they'll do something about it is another issue, but it's important to create the awareness. I, I really do believe that. And for the first time, uh, probably ever, I'm starting to realize how important it is to, um, to reach out and to, and to speak up and to actually find out who the, who the people are that you can speak to that, that can um, have influence over these decisions, you know? Because at the end of the day, they're supposed to be elected officials. They're supposed to be uh, civil servants, just like I was working for the public, you know what I mean? But I feel like, I feel like that's gone away to the side, you know what I mean? Like still lo a local politician nowadays, it seems like is more interested in getting his face and name in the paper than he is or she is in uh, addressing real issues that matter to people, you know? Unfortunately, that's, that's how I feel. And what about just the general news media? <laughs> what do you think of the, the coverage or lack thereof? Of, of I, th issue? I think it's interesting because I used to watch the news to get news and to get information. And now I watch the news to see how bad the reporting is and to see how how biased, you know, the, the stories are, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I grew up watching TV. That was the babysitter. You know what I mean? Like you get put in front of the TV and, you know, mom and dad do what they got to do. And, uh, it's amazing for me to see how much it's changed over the years. There's, there's no such thing I believe anymore. I mean, besides people like yourself as, as true journalism, you know, you're supposed to go out there and report the facts and the story as they are. And I'm supposed to be able to decide for myself how I, you know, how I feel about it or what I'm going to make of those facts, how it's crazy. It's, it's mind boggling. It really is. Uh, it's, it's more for entertainment now than anything else. And uh, I've, I found myself just going to other uh, independent sources for, for my news more so than at any other time. And uh, it's, and it's better. It really is. It's better. Also too, I decided a long time ago to not watch the news so much. And every time, I say, oh, let me see the news. It's the same old story. It's one bad story after another. And uh, I believe it's like that on purpose. You know, you have no choice but to get worried if you turn on the TV and you see this or that or the other. You know, of course, you're going to get scared. But it's not like I want to bury my head in the sand. But sometimes, you know, less news is better, you know. Mm -hmm. So what's um, what's happening for you now? Are you are you able to collect unemployment? So I, um, I definitely applied. I don't know if I'm going to get approved for it because it seems like a lot of my, a lot of my colleagues have been getting denied their unemployment. Um, I did apply. I haven't heard back yet. So my current status is I'm unemployed. I'm not collecting unemployment. Um, I can't. So this is the other thing. Because I worked indoors in a shop for so many years, all the certifications that I had working outside have expired because I didn't need them. And so for me to go work as a welder in the outside, in the private sector, first, I have to find out if the mandates apply on the outside as well, because I haven't been in the private sector for five years. Then secondly, I have to find out about what certifications I would have to get brand new again 
uh, whether it be a 30 hour OSHA class or a different kind of, well, not a a welding license is, is good across the board in New York City or New York State, but there's a lot of other hurdles that I have to go through that I normally wouldn't have to go through uh, if I just was allowed to keep my job. So, I, and now with the foot, there's a bunch of things going on. I'm not in any rush right now to look for a job because honestly, uh, I just, I can't take it right now. I, I, I need the time right now to just work on myself and, and kind of reflect on the whole situation and, and decide what I want to do going forward with my life. Honestly, I, I really thought that I would, I was at a certain stage in my life. I was happy with my career uh, in terms of the milestones that I had reached. You know, I became a welder. Uh, I was working for a private company on the outside. I was a supervisor and then they went out of business. So I went to work for sanitation and I was like, wow, I've, I've come a long way. You know, in my 15 year welding career, I have a city job and I don't have to worry about this place going out of business or whatever. It's not as much fun as my old job, but hey, it's a good job with good benefits. And this is probably where I'm going to retire. And so I should probably start working on that, you know, and um, that's where my head was at until this whole thing happened and everybody's world got turned upside down. And like I said before, we were all there. We were all there when it mattered most. And uh, I never walked away. I'd still be working there, even if I wasn't happy with certain aspects of my job or, you know, listen, not every day is going to be a great day, you know, but it's a good day. if You can get up and go to work and do something productive. You can make it a good day, you know. So you were, before you were working for sanitation, you were working as a welder for a long time in the private sector. Correct. Well, like what's, how does that, for people who don't know anything about that line of work, how does that work um, in terms of the, uh, you know, um, apprenticeship or like, what is the career path? (laughs) So, so there are, there are many different ones. There there are unions that offer apprenticeships and, and you can take a career path uh, that way. I went a little different route. There was a, a, a good friend of mine. Uh, he, he's a welder. He, he's in, in a big union. And uh, many years ago, I wanted to do the same thing. And so he kind of showed me the ropes. I went to school for free uh, to a city school, actually, Co-op Tech on 96th Street in Manhattan. I don't know if they still offer the program, but they had a program for adults, evening classes, everything from barbershop to uh, cooking classes to mechanic classes to welding classes. So I took a welding class got my certification. And then I, I just worked in the field different, different for different companies, non-union, um, all across the city, welding I-beams here and there, fences, gates, all kinds of different things. And then I started working for a company, uh, a very large non-union company in the city that took, they, they, uh, they did demolition and they also did foundation. So I would, I work all different, um, in all different locations across the city doing foundation work, but, but uh, welding, foundation work so they would have to do that before they put up high rises basically so i'd be if you ever walk in the city and you see a one of those plywood fences where they're doing construction and mm-hmm. if you look in that if you look in that little square hole that mm-hmm. they give you to look into sometimes you'll see a hole 50 feet down in the ground and that's yeah. because they have to dig everything up to to put their to lay their foundation with so they can erect their building so i did a lot of work related to that uh in the field in the city and it was good. It was ha- I mean, I was very happy. I, I, it was a great company, uh, good people, uh, a lot of people. And slowly but surely, I ended up making like the, the welding division of that company. In the beginning, there was only me and another guy. And then as the company grew, they needed more welders and there were more projects, more locations. So I became uh, more of a supervisor. And at the end, that's, I mean, there might have been 20, 20 guys at some point that I was in charge of or that I had a uh, that I was responsible for sending them out to different job sites and making sure that, you know, the, the work was done going over blueprints and setting everybody up and they call it putting out fires. So at the end of, at the end of my career there at that job, I was more, I was a supervisor and I was in, in charge of setting up, jo- setting up jobs rather than being on a job myself welding all day. You know, it was nice. It was good. And then things happened. So they went out of business and then I saw an opportunity to jump to sanitation and I took it and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. I thought I was going to retire there, but I guess not. <laughs> so um, now you're you're kind of, we should, we should say for listeners, you mentioned your foot, but I don't think we actually explained that for people listening to the podcast, your foot injury, you're a little bit laid up right now. Um, yes. Yeah, but, now with the uh, foot, right. Yes. I they, have, they, uh, I'm sorry. So you, so you literally need to take some time to get back on your feet. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. For the next <laughs> few weeks, I have nothing to do but 
uh, read and watch TV and, and do my best not to go cat and crazy in here. Right. Yeah. Um, but so after that, though, eventually you have a little bit of a dilemma because not only is the city job not possible now, but, you know, you were saying uh, you need to find out if there's a, you know, if there's a private employer mandate and there is in New York. Um, this is something that's come up in previous uh, podcast conversations. Mm-hmm. There, there is a vaccine mandate um, for all workers in New York City um, who work in a workplace so, or who so interact with the public. So that would it, cover, yeah. Sorry, is it still the 100 or, or more employees or just across no, the board? I think, I think that was the federal one that was, um, de- it was defeated in court. Okay. That was the federal mandate that had the 100 employees. Um, but the New York City one, which uh, if you look on the New York City website, uh, you know, under their... Um, uh, you know, COVID coronavirus information pages. It explains that all employers um, have to affirm that their employees uh, have been vaccinated. If those employees, basically, if they don't work at home alone, <laughs> if they mm-hmm. work in a workplace or a vehicle, um, or they interact with the public in the course of their work. So that's most yeah. people. Right. See that's see yeah that's that's wild like when when in history like when ever is there a one size fits all solution for everybody you know what I mean it just doesn't work that way you know I mean there there are legitimate people out there who who want a vaccine who maybe you know need it and, and it's none of my business there are people who want it there are people who don't there are people who are on the fence and you should be allowed just to make the 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 best decision you can for you. Because it's obvious at this point, it's really not about stopping the virus. Because if you have the vaccine and you still get the virus and you can still transmit the virus, it's pretty obvious the vaccine's not doing its job, you know? And it's like, if I go to my mechanic and I get my brakes changed and I have to go back to him three months later to get my brakes changed again, I'm going to be like, hey, buddy, something's wrong with those brakes. They're not supposed to run out after three months. So if you're going to get a shot and you have to keep getting boosted and boosted and boosted, it's obviously something wrong. And I feel like science is just not fast enough to catch up with nature. You know, it's just in my view, uh, I feel the best thing that they could, that they could have done once, once they found out lockdowns didn't work is probably just let us get back to normal and have it sweep through the population. And, you know, it sounds horrible as somebody whose mother died. You know what I mean? Those are things that you can't change. You can't affect you know, I know it hit people differently, it hit some people harder than other people. And it's something that we don't, I don't know, I don't even know. I, I, I can't even say to this day if that's what killed her. I don't know. I don't know if it was the treatment she was getting in the hospital. I don't know if it was the diabetes. It just, we just don't know. There are a lot of questions still to be answered. But any, in any case, um, freedom of choice is a big deal. It's a, it's a big thing. There's one thing to have a public health emergency. And there's another to have draconian laws and measures and, and mandates in, in, in place that at the end of the day, they actually erode society. You're not helping anybody. What you're doing is you're, you're tearing apart, you know, the fabric of society. You're not letting people go to work. You're not letting them provide for their families. Um, and it's disruptive. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of mental health issues that come about with that also that people are not um, addressing. Uh, I'm pretty sure we all have PS- PTSD or something, you know, from this whole coronavirus stuff, from the whole pandemic. And add to that that you can't uh, provide for yourself. You know, you, I, I, I feel bad for my situation because everything is relative, right? But I feel more bad for somebody who's been on the job for twenty years, twenty five years. You know, and to turn around and tell them, hey, listen, like you, you're not good enough anymore. You don't want to get this thing. You got to get out of here. That's pretty much what they're telling people. You, if you don't want to put this thing in your body that we say you need to do to keep everybody safe, then you need to get out of here. Meanwhile, we're all walking around just fine with, I don't have a vaccine. I'm walking around just fine. I'm not getting anybody sick. I'm not a danger to anybody, not a danger to myself. When I got sick, I was at home. My wife got sick because we lived together. She got sick. I got sick. We got over it. And that's it. You know, I mean, thank goodness. Uh, That's, it's, it's, it's wild. I don't know. It's wild times we're living in, you know, so. I don't know what to do with myself. I, I can't do anything right now because of my surgery. But after the surgery, um, if I go out there and try to get a job as a welder, my chances are probably slim. 
So I'm looking into other other things that I like to do with my time with my, you know, with uh, with the time that I have. Transferable skills, maybe. Who knows? I haven't had to think about getting a new job for a long time. Once I became a welder, I figured, okay, this is why I did this. This is my career. Uh, that's what I'm going to be doing until I retire. And now, to have to to have to come up with something else to do to make a living, you know. And I mean, I'm a good worker. I've always been a good worker. If I have to go out there and do whatever, I'll do it, you know. But it's, it should be my choice to do so because I worked really hard to become a welder. You know, it, it wasn't easy and, and I did it and I made it work for me. And then boom, like it just got stopped in my tracks, you know, and now my options are limited. I feel right now they're extremely limited right now, you know, and it's really through no fault of my own, you know, it's not like we quit. That's the other thing too. It's not like we quit, you know, we were all there to the very end and we were forced out. And that's a big, that's, there's a big difference between uh, saying, no, I don't want to do this. I'm out of here. Or saying, no, I don't want to do this, but I'm still going to be here and get up and come to work and report every day and do what I got to do. Right. Right. And that's a lot. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're in a skilled trade. People invest a lot of time and resources and, you know, society invests resources in, in training people, Right. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, it's not something that you just, you know, you're going from one type of job to the next. You're, you have a, a skill that you developed and that Correct. Yeah. you and other people put resources into developing. Do you think there's a, do you think there's a, um, a loss to sanitation? I don't know how many people from sanitation have been um, terminated or put on on leave because of the mandates but do you do you think that there's a loss or an effect on the shop where you used to work or just your your industry in general you know aside from sanitation because of people who've been affected this way um honestly yes i do i do i feel like uh we might not see the loss or the effects right now but uh in a few months in a year or so um you have to take into account um Across all the city agencies, there's so many different dedicated professionals. And uh, somebody brought this up at one of the you know, meetings or rallies that I went to. And it's true. You got to give people credit. You, you can't replace uh, those years of experience with anything else but experience. So if you're telling people that have been on the job for 20 years that uh, they can't be there anymore and they're going to be replaced with somebody who just got, to, who just got there, Maybe they had experience at their previous job, but they don't have that experience, right. you know, and that's that's to the detriment of everybody because really that's irreplaceable. So I think across the board, I think the city, I think city service services uh, will suffer. I think that's the reason why maybe right now they don't want to um, they don't want to go ahead and tell the cops that they have to get mandated. Um, I think there's a hold on that, but maybe it's back on. I'm not sure there was a pause on the NYPD um, exemptions. Um it's, it's going to affect a lot of different areas of the city, you know, and if, if you can't see it today, um, it doesn't mean that it's not there. You know, I feel across the board, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a big loss. It's a big loss for everybody. I mean, God forbid if I have to call the ambulance for myself or somebody else, you know, I want somebody who has experience and training, the proper training. If I have to call a police officer of the fire department, anybody, I want the guy who's collecting the garbage or the woman who's collecting the garbage to, to be trained properly because that avoids uh, accidents. You know what I mean? It avoids all kind of just things that can happen that can be avoided because that person has had the proper training. They've made those mistakes before. They know how to deal with a, cer with a certain situation. So I feel like the lack of experience is something that we're going to see um, later on down the line. And I, I really hope that we can get through it in a good way because at the end of the day, like I said, the people who are affected the most by these types of mandates and these types of, um, of decisions are the people at the bottom, are the people who, who, who get up and go to work every day and pay their taxes and, and, and shop at their, you know, just give money back to the community and keep it flowing. We're the people who are affected the most. The people up at the top that make the decisions, they can make a decision and then decide not to follow it. And who are we to know whether they are or they aren't? You know what I mean? Their lives seem to be going on the same. You know, um, I don't want anybody to lose their job, you know, but the guy who's telling me that I have to do something and he doesn't do it should not be working there also, if that's the case, you know? 
and it's it's you know i think the city's gonna suffer i just i just think uh i think we need people who who uh we need people who are really going to speak up for the people who who make up this city you know sorry i'm kind of at a loss for words right now <laughs> we've we've talked about a lot um is is there anything that um that i haven't asked you about that you think is important to bring up um no i think we've talked about a lot i think i you know basically my my whole take on the on everything is that uh if it's really in the in the interest of public health and safety um they should come up with something that really works and have science and data to back it up from different sources peer reviewed um, there should be a committee of people, not just one person deciding what to do. And they should talk to real experts. You know, as I said before, if, if I have a problem with my car, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to do it myself. I'm not going to go on YouTube and try to change something in my car. If I don't know how to do it, you know, if there's an issue, I'm going to my mechanic because he's the expert. He's the person who knows what this problem is, what it could be. Even if he doesn't know what it is, he knows what it's not or what it could be. Cause experts sometimes don't even know right off the bat what things are. But what they do is they talk to other experts and with all this shared knowledge and information, we can come up with the best possible solution for everybody, which is already in itself hard to do because, you know, as we know, not every, it's like a diet, you know what I mean? Not every one diet works for everybody. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we need to come together better and, and talk more openly and freely about, uh, about a situation like this so we can come up with better solutions, you know?